Hi, this is Wayne Zell and welcome to Blueprint for Wealth, your very fast paced video cast that helps you realize your personal dreams of wealth and freedom. And we always feature special guests and special topics of interest to our listeners. Today we have with us Brandon Avergon, who is a principal in the Rampart Consulting Group out of Boston, Massachusetts. And we're gonna ask him a bunch of questions. He's the president and co-founder, by the way, of Rampart. He's a chartered alternative investment analyst. Welcome, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wayne, happy to be here. It's good to have you. Brandon has spent over a decade serving high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals and families in investment and financial planning services. And he tries to focus on counseling individuals and families and even family offices on the benefits of domestic and international tax planning and wealth and risk management. Today, we're going to talk about a special product that Brandon and his partner, Alan Ebert, are specialists in. Alan has been around for decades. Uh, he's a, a lawyer, uh, co-founder and chairman also of Rampart and has been using private placement life insurance, also known as PPLI, in his planning and now Brandon's planning for their dynastic wealthy clients. It not only provides tax planning, it provides asset protection. So before I get too far afield of trying to explain this stuff, let me ask Brandon, Brandon, what is PPLI? What is private placement life insurance? So private placement life insurance, uh, most of it is, is right there in the name. So let's start off with the life insurance part. So this is a, uh, a technical legal life insurance contract. It has the same components as any other life insurance contract. The policy needs to have an owner, uh, an insured life with insurable interest, as well as a beneficiary. Um, now, as, as Wayne alluded to in our tax planning, the owner and the beneficiary is where you can get into some of the uh, dynastic planning capabilities. But at the end of the day, what we're really talking about here is a life insurance policy. Okay. Uh, but as, as, he's, as he said, it's also called private placement. Uh, so the reason for that is much like a private placement investment, uh, these policies are specifically underwritten and really customized to the owner's needs, more so than a traditional life insurance policy. And the other sort of dual meaning of private placement is <clears throat> much also like a private placement investment, it is only available to accredited investors and qualified purchasers. And because of that, the policies are permitted to invest in assets that are also made available to people who fall within those classifications. Uh, so that's sort of the the thirty second version. That's good. I, I, that really summarizes it well. Is there a specific kind of life insurance policy that you use in PPLI? So what I compare it to it most closely in the traditional insurance space would be a variable universal life policy, uh, structured similarly to that with a separate account for the account holder, uh, which can, as I alluded to earlier, make investments like a variable universal life policy, but that universe investments, the universe of investments uh, is far, far more expanded because of the uh, accredited and qualified purchaser status of the owner. So what does that mean? I mean, you're not just buying bonds and stocks, you're buying what with the insurance? Sure. So in many of our client cases, we see folks who, uh, prefer to, to you have their policies invest in alternative investments, 
things like hedge funds, uh, private equity and private credit funds, even private real estate funds, uh, all the way into some direct investments. Uh, we have clients who uh, choose their policies to hold things like precious metals or uh, timberland, income producing real estate. Um, that's really where an investment professional can really get uh, creative in finding the portfolio that's best going to benefit the, the client within this structure. Is it possible for the insurance uh, investment to be used to purchase a private or closely held business? So that's a great question. Um, the answer is in few cases, yes. In many cases, no. So okay. the reason for that is that um, sort of the what I would like to call the golden rule around PPLI is what's called the investor control rule. And what makes this a legal insurance contract for IRS purposes and protects the owner um, is that sort of lack of explicit control. So the separate account that I alluded to earlier is going to be assigned to an investment advisor, uh, which in many cases is a money manager that the policy owner or the client already knows and trusts and have worked with in many for many years. Uh, and that person is given full investment discretion of the account. So there are some cases where in that person's discretion, uh, they'll go out and buy an, an operating business based in whatever they feel um, the client's plan is. But it's a lot more common to see, um, like I said, sort of private investments in a fund structure uh, at the discretion of the investment advisor. One of the questions that makes me it makes me think a little bit about some of the entities that we like to use with our with our clients such as family holding companies. So let's say we set up an LLC and the LLC lim limited liability company is set up for the family. There's uh, individuals, there's trusts, others that own this family holding company. It's like a bank and the family holding company has all kinds of investments. Could, could the PPLI be invested in the family holding company, the LLC? In most cases, no. However, let me give you a, an interesting alternative. What we would do with a client in a case like that is actually have the family holding company or the LLC or the trust be the owner of the PPLI. So there's still going to need to be insurable interest and the insured life and all the things I talked about. But that is a structure that is compliant with all the investor control rules and really helps the client achieve the same goal. That's totally cool. So who should buy PPLI? Who's the best candidate for this type of thing? So as I alluded to before, sort of the, the letter of the law is the accredited investor and the qualified purchaser. Many of our clients are what would you consider an ultra high net worth individual or family, or as you alluded to earlier, a family office. Um, mostly folks who have investable assets in excess of that 20 to 25 million are really going to be able to see the value in that. And the reason for that is... Uh, PPLI is funded with premium, just like a, a traditional insurance policy would be. And where you can really see the exponential growth and value of those tax savings is at about $5 million of premium. Uh, with less premium, the policy will work. The client can make money. But at that five-ish million dollar level is where, really where we see it add tremendous value. And one of the things that you and I have talked about sort of off camera is the ability of uh, you know, the use of, of PPLI to uh, shelter assets offshore to achieve asset protection, but and also to achieve tax benefits. I'll get into that in a second, because I did have some questions on that. 
But with regard to uh, uh, offshore versus onshore and, you know, why somebody would do that, why would somebody go offshore for a PPLI policy versus trying to do it onshore in the United States? Uh, I get that question a lot, and it's uh, it's it's certainly uh, a valid one. So just like setting up, you know, Wayne, what you do all the time, setting up uh, a trust entity or or a holding company, something like that, there's pros and cons to being onshore and offshore. Okay. So where we would come to play in a scenario like that is if uh, a client or a policy owner already had an offshore structure or an onshore or an offshore entity, and they had you know their own asset protection and tax reasons for doing that. We wouldn't want to compromise that strategy by bringing in an onshore policy. The client or the owner has gone through all this trouble and research and due diligence to set up their structures exactly as they would like them. Uh, we would want continuity with that. But let's take a, a case from scratch, a new client who's evaluating an onshore policy versus an offshore policy. So you alluded to asset protection. Uh, in almost any case, regardless of what you're doing, asset protection can be stronger offshore than it can be onshore. But there's also a slight difference in the investment universe. So an onshore policy, as I said, can invest in all these private funds and alternative investments and things like that. However, they do have to be registered with the SEC. And, and you know, most of them are. With an offshore policy, there are that re restriction does not exist. So you're that's where my clients who are investing in the precious metals and gold bars and things like that, uh, where they have their own preferred locations for those things, an offshore policy really allows them to do that. Okay. Now, um, the tax benefits are numerous in these types of structures. And what I wanted to do is first have you tell me about the income tax, capital gains benefits of using PPLI versus not. And then tell me a little bit about the estate planning benefits we get out of that. So uh, from an income, an ordinary income and capital gains perspective, uh, the benefit is, is, is pretty straightforward and jumps off the page. Uh, that those within the context of the policy in this separate account, uh, those, tax, those tax consequences do not exist. Just as they, uh, just as within traditional life insurance policy. Explain so, that a little bit more, because the listener may not understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say in your traditional uh, brokerage account, uh, you own uh, a stock, and that stock is gonna, you know, throw off dividends, and you're gonna get your 1099 at the end of the year, and you're gonna have to pay the taxes on that ordinary income. Now that same stock, you you picked a really good one, and it's jumped up in value. So now you want to sell it and collect that value. When you, when you do that, uh, same thing, you're going to get that bill with the 1099 for the capital gain you have to pay on that stock. That exact same sequence of events is going to occur inside of your PPLI policy in that separate account that I talked about, which the investment mm -hmm. advisor has discretion over. over. Um, right. But you're never, you're never going to get that tax bill because, again, we're, all, we're wrapped inside the insurance policy. And I'll, I'll translate it to alternative investments, you know, your hedge funds, private equity, private real estate, uh, those, those assets are going to typically produce a K-1 come tax time. And I'm sure many of your listeners are in the same boat as me. K-1 time can be a tough time uh, as you're trying to manage all this paperwork when, when, when the tax man's knocking at the door. Mm -hmm. uh, so just like that 1099, that capital gains bill, um, there's never going to be a K-1. Um, there's never going to be a, a, a K-1 inside of this insurance policy, which again, 
with alternative investments and some of the tax complexity that comes with them. Um, you know, we see investments that are throwing off phantom income and UBTI, unrelated uh, uh, business, business taxable, taxable income. income right. Yeah. And, and these can be such a burden. And to not have to worry about any of this consequences or, or, or burden uh, is a strong point of PPLI. And that's because the inside buildup inside a, a bona fide life insurance policy of value, the, this inside buildup, however it's accomplished, whether it's through dividends or interest or capital gains or realized gains or unrealized gains, is all non-taxable. And that's that's the crux of, of, of why there's such great benefits income tax-wise. What about on the estate planning side? You know, we're all familiar with uh, the burdensome estate tax that exists now. We, we're, we've all read about the uh, potential sunset of the exemption coming up in a few years. And, you know, life insurance, put PPLI aside for a moment, traditional life insurance is a very commonly used tool to help, to help set up and, and tax optimize a client's estate and sort of avoid that big tax bill. Well, two things. It avoids some of that big tax bill when, you know, the insured passes away and the estate tax come into play, but it also does something that we talk a lot about with our clients where, you know, a wealthy person with all the tax planning in the world, your estate's not gonna be zero. There's going to be some way, shape or form of estate tax involved with the family, most likely. And what this does is, you know, the death benefit in the separate account of the PPLI will prevent the client's heirs from having to, oh my goodness, I just got this tax bill. Now I have to sell a bunch of assets I wasn't planning to sell, which just creates a larger tax bill and it just piles on and on and on. So the tax-free death benefit of and separate account of a PPLI avoids the taxes on the actual wealth coming out of the policy, but also provides a little bit of liquidity to take that, that you know, fire sale fear away from the family um, when they do have to pay whatever the estate tax may be. Yeah, well, and let me see if I can translate it in terms of technical uh, application. If you own a, an insurance policy and you own it outright, it's going to be included in your estate when you die. The, the, yes. the value, uh, the face value of the death benefits included in your estate. Most people don't remember that. They just realize that the income tax is usually not imposed. But it's if you have it separated, if you take that policy and put it into a valid, irrevocable life insurance trust, or offshore trust, even better, and have it uh, owned by that that trust, it's not included in your estate. So you may be paying premiums uh, offshore as well. The question is, how do we get the assets offshore to pay the premiums to buy this life insurance? How do you answer that question when somebody asks that? How do we get the, prop, the, the asset offshore? So there, there are a few ways to do that. And we've, we've done all of them with our clients over the years. One very common one is, you know, we, we talk with somebody like yourself, the client's attorney, and usually their CPA. And we take a look at what they've done so far uh, with their lifetime gifting exemption. So that's sort of the first place that we'll look. And what we're going to do is take the clients, again, always thinking about tax and estate tax and capital gain. We're going to take the client's most appreciated asset, you know, that oldest piece of Apple stock that they've got there. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to use the gifting exemption to go ahead and move that over to the irrevocable trust. So that's going to, going to push the assets out of the client's estate. And then from there, the trust, and you gave me a great segue to this, the way we structure our policies 
um, the trust I mentioned earlier, owner insured beneficiary. In our cases, that irrevocable trust, that ILIT, the irrevocable life insurance trust is going to be both the owner and the beneficiary of the policy. So getting back to where I just was, we, we push those assets over to the trust using a lifetime gifting exemption in many cases. Uh, and then from there, once the trust owns and purchases the policy, uh, you know, those assets are then used for premium. Sure. Uh, and if you have $10 million of assets to purchase insurance, that is a lot of insurance that you could buy for that amount of money. Precisely. Precisely. So, um, is this trust an onshore trust? Is it a U.S. domestic trust or is it an offshore trust? So that's going to depend on the client's needs. Um, you know, we are adept at if, if a client wants to work onshore, if they have a, an onshore trustee, somebody that they really want to use, uh, you know, we're adept at, at setting up trusts in a jurisdiction or LLCs in a jurisdiction that's going to provide as much asset protection as, as it possibly can to the client. Uh, if the client is uh, comfortable or interested in setting up entities offshore, uh, that is where we really see the most powerful asset and tax protection in the structures that we set up. Yeah, I mean, asset protection is, means that their creditors cannot get at the asset. And so the, the one big factor in setting these vehicles up is you can't have a claim. You shouldn't have a claim already pending against you. It's to protect you from future claims, from future creditors that might arise. If you've already got claims pending against you, um, this technique may not work. In fact, it may create problems for you if you try to set it up, correct? That's that's correct and, and a really important point. Um, and it's actually, I, I, I liken it to buying a traditional insurance policy. You know, going out and buying an insurance policy when you've already got an illness or some kind of condition, probably not going to work for you. It's going to be very difficult. You know, once you've got a problem, it's already too late to protect yourself. And that's why we tell clients, you know, now's the time. Basically, if you if, if, if you don't have that problem yet, now's the time to put these structures into place, because once an issue comes up, it's kind of already too late. Well, one of the keys here, though, is the, the key difference between PPLI, the private placement life insurance, and these traditional policies is that the insurance agents and traditional policies are trying to sell you as much insurance for as little cost as possible, right? And so it's more focused on the insurance component, whereas in PPLI, isn't it the opposite? It is. It is. I'm going to have to steal one of my partner Alan's lines here. And he's okay. been saying this for decades. He says, uh, you know, your typical insurance person uh, is doing their job and they're going to go out and get you the most possible insurance uh, for the least amount of premium. Uh, somebody who knows what they're doing in the PPLI field, their job is to go out and get you the least possible insurance because you want to reduce that cost of insurance tax, uh, the cost of the cost drag and for the maximum amount of premium, right. because it's the premium and the value of separate account that's going to grow in that tax-free environment and really benefit the next generation and the next generation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's sort of the the, the game, the, uh, the strategy encapsulated. Why has PPLI become so popular in recent years? One is certainly the uh, you know tax and political environment uh, worldwide. Uh, folks are certainly more tax sensitive than they've been. Uh, we are also in the midst of just a large generational wealth transfer. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 
inspired and, and surprised at the same time at how many clients I speak with who have uh, amassed this wealth. They've built, they've built their family and it's just dawning on them now that, you know, oh my goodness, I, I need to have a plan in place here. So I think the, the, the generation of people that is, are reaching that age is growing and growing and growing so that the wealth transfer is pushing part of it. Um, you know, legislation is, is pushing another part of it. You know, just back in, in 2021, uh, there was some talk about changing the grantor trust rules and uh, that sort of thing really gets people thinking about their estate plan. And all of a sudden, if somebody's looking at their their trust structures, uh, oh, well, what if I better look at this? I better look at that. And what if we set this up in a different way? Um, so I think more than in, in quite some time, people are thinking about uh you know, wealth transfer, estate planning, really from the, from a tax perspective. Plus the uh, exemptions that are currently at $12.92 million per person lifetime in the United States are scheduled to drop by half at the end of 2025. So there's a unique opportunity to take advantage of this planning strategy even more than usual uh, sure. by the end of 2025, by using your exemption to fund one of these trusts, to go out and acquire assets that you otherwise couldn't acquire in a traditional life insurance wrapper, right? So you're you you could you know do precious metals or hedge funds or or you know more exotic type investments that you otherwise could not get. So that's kind of cool about that's why I, I think it's attractive. Um, what how can people get PPLI? Who do they go to for this? Really, where you want to where I'd say you want to start is finding somebody that has experience with PPLI. Some cases that'll be an insurance consultant, which is what we are. In some cases, that'll be an agent. Uh, in many cases, it'll be somebody like yourself, uh, a, tax, a, a trust and estate attorney, uh, somebody with, ta uh, with tax experience. And uh, even we're starting to talk with some CPAs who have heard about PPLI and want to learn more about it. Um, but the most important thing is, you know, when it comes to ultra high net worths and family offices, more often than not, we're talking about a team of folks, a team of advisors a financial advisor, a legal advisor, and a tax advisor. The key thing is that somebody on that team has experience with PPLI uh, because things like the investor control rule, things like diversification rules, they are easy to navigate and comply with if you know what you're doing. But once you are in violation of those rules, either deliberately or not, the whole strategy is at risk. And that's that's really uh, you know that's that's really I'll, I'll give you a great example. Sure. So one of my one of my uh, one of the most advantageous things about PPLI that we haven't talked about yet, which also exists in traditional insurance, is uh, a loan provision. So uh, a policy owner, if the policy is structured appropriately, which I'll get to in a moment, uh, if structured appropriately, a policy owner can actually take a tax-free loan against the cash value of their policy for up to 80 or even 90% of the value of that policy um, at a very nominal uh, formulaic interest rate, not something that you're gonna see in the market and is gonna fluctuate and things like that. So as I said before, while the client is giving up control of these investments to their investment advisor, and when we meet with a client, in most cases, we're gonna sit with, with the attorney and the CPA, and we're gonna want everybody around the table to agree that this is really money that, you know, G1, the client is not going to need during their lifetime. This is money that's earmarked for future generations. 
However, your crystal ball is as good as mine. Nobody's predicting the future. So this loan provision is really, if you need access to those funds, if you need access to those assets, you can, you can access it using this loan provision. However, if the pot, getting back to the, to the knowledgeable professional, if the policy is not structured appropriately as a non-MEC, non-modified endowment contract, um, that loan provision is lost and that capability, that capability is lost. And that's just one example of why it's so important to work with somebody who's uh, knowledgeable and has experience in the space, at least as a member of your team. You don't need to go out and replace your accountant and your attorney and your finance person. Uh, it's just important to have uh, a voice at the table to, to just make sure that everything is, is within the rules and, and is achieving what the client wishes to achieve. So to wind things up, who is the best candidate to contact you if they've got questions or a need for PPLI? Who is the best client? So we do um, a lot of work with uh, CPAs and attorneys and financial advisors in terms of uh, educating them on the strategy. But the best clients to sit down and show them the value are the ultra high net worth families and the family offices themselves, because they put there, there are names and faces to, you know, those future generations that they know these assets that are going to be passed on. And, you know, what I like to say is there's all the, you know, we're helping with insurance policies and structuring and things like that. At the end of the day, we're providing people peace of mind. I mean, yeah. this is about somebody being able to, to have, their legacy when they put their head in the pillow. Asset protection, so creditor protection, offshore is very powerful, number one. Number two, tax protection. You can get insurance on lower generations to make this thing last outside of the estate tax, outside of the gift tax for multiple generations and grow the wealth for the family so that when it is in fact needed or when when you want it, it's there for you. and. Um, when you pull it out, it's not necessarily taxable you know, to you. There are some Correct. very strict reporting requirements. And so get in touch with qualified professionals like Brandon, who can help you with your PPLI. Brandon, how do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about Rampart and what you're doing? You can find us on uh, uh, LinkedIn as well as uh rampartcg.com, uh, which where you can find my contact information, the contact information of my partner, Alan, but also some really great primer information on PPLI itself. Um, we like working with families, but we spend a lot of our time uh, educating folks in the space because uh, it's probably not as, as utilized as it should be. So find us online, find us on the website and find a way to get in touch with me and, and I'll be happy to help you as best I can. Great. Thanks for being a special guest on Blueprint for Wealth. Thanks for having me, Wayne. All right, and stay tuned for an educational moment on a topic of interest to you. A miner's trust is a special statutory creature created under Section 2503C of the Internal Revenue Code. It allows you to make a gift to the trust so that it qualifies for an annual gift tax exclusion, even though the trust beneficiary has no right to presently withdraw the gift. The restriction on a 2503C trust is that it's supposed to end at either age 18 or 21, depending on what you've written into the trust instrument. Usually at that time, if there's a significant amount of assets in the trust, you try to get the trust beneficiary, the 18-year-old or the 21-year-old, to agree to allow the trust 
to continue on beyond their 18th or 21st birthday. If they do that, then the assets can continue to remain in trust for an extended period of time. The trustee has discretionary control over the income and principle of the trust during the period of minority. And again, if the trust beneficiary agrees, you can extend that period beyond the age of minority. Thank you.